What's up, everyone? I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and welcome to episode 114 of Crossover Commerce. This is my corner of the internet where I bring the best experts in the Amazon and e-commerce space to give their insights, the best tips, tricks, thoughts, you know, uh, stupid quotes, comments, whatever you want to call it in the industry here so that you can learn and level up your business. Hopefully, imply this to make you a better entrepreneur. That's my hope, at least. Uh, but you can... St- uh, basically sharing this insights with me and this audience is my job and my passion. So what I wanted to do today is bring on our guest to talk about just that. Uh, the question actually is still posed a lot in the Amazon community and e-commerce community really is, can you still make money as a private label seller on Amazon? And what kind of impact do masterminds and communities really have uh, on entrepreneurs as they're getting going and as they continue to grow their business, their brand, whatever that might look. So we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that, those kinds of questions today. But of course, um, that's why I wanted to name this episode, How to Be Successful Private Label Seller. Pretty basic, simple title, but we're going to get a lot deeper than just that. But as always, Crossover Commerce is presented by Ping Pong Payments. We transfer more than $150 million a day in cross-border payments to over now helping over 1 million customers worldwide transferring a total of $90 billion plus in cross-border payments. Sending or receiving, no matter it's your VAs, your suppliers, manufacturers, or just selling on international marketplaces, Ping Pong is going to make sure that you save more and put more margin to your bottom line. So that being said, go ahead and check that out for your free account today. Just go ahead and click on that link in the comments section below, but don't only do that when we're done with this episode. Of course, you want to stay tuned, take notes. That's what I'm going to be doing today. I got my notebook out and my pen ready as well. But a big welcome to everyone who's watching on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter. If you have questions, this is an interactive podcast. So if you do have something that pops up for myself or our guest, please go ahead and put those questions in the comment section because we can see those, throw them up on the screen and make sure that we can best help you out. That, that's what we're trying to do is get back to the community. If you have a specific question, If you're watching this live or later on, go ahead and tag us as well, and we'll see those and get to the bottom of your question or comment. Um, But that being said, it's not just about me. It's about our guests. If it was just simply about me as a talking head, that would be one boring podcast, and I would not make it past season one. So that's why I brought on my guest today. Brandon Young is an eight-figure Amazon seller, award-winning consultant with award-winning course, private label, uh, Amazon private label. He also is one of the few FBA Uh, sellers. He's also teaching it, but also selling and successful at it as well. He's considered by most to be one of the leaders in current Amazon private label strategies. He began selling back in 2015, um, starting out with arbitrage as most do, but then seeking a more scalable business model. He pivoted to wholesale and private label. And and in June 2016, he actually launched his first private label brand. Now today he has launched multiple brands, selling multiple eight figures and continuing to help others along the way with his course, seller systems, community, I should say, seller systems. And he's down there in hot steamy Miami, just just, just doing the right things, trying to help other people uh, be successful, just like as he did it as well. But I want to bring on, uh, I'm super happy to actually finally coordinate on the show, Brandon Young of Seller Systems. Brandon, thanks for joining us on Crossover Commerce. How are you? Good. Good to see you, man. How you doing? Yeah, no, no problem. It's uh, like you said, it's hot down there in Miami. You're uh, you're probably working away on the weekends too. But a lot of people think that maybe like people like yourself are just counting sitting on a beach somewhere. Well, well, technically Miami could be a beach, right? Just counting money. But you're you're putting in the sweat equity, man. You're 
you're in your warehouse and you're helping fulfill orders and you're launching products, it, it's not as glorious as it as it seems, right? Yeah, anyone that tells you that you can do this in a four hour work week and scale the business is is full of it. Um, <laughs> you know, I always I always hear that four hour work week book uh, quoted and people thinking that this is the easy life and, uh, you know, they can launch some products and, uh, you know, start making millions of dollars. <laughs> it's definitely not true. Now, that being said, I do know a lot of entrepreneurs who still work full time for their jobs who are putting in the hours from when they get home and after they get done eating from like seven to 2 a.m. every night. And they're launching products and creating a million dollar business. Um, so that's possible. But, you know, by no means can you scale this to a real eight figure business uh, if you're not going to treat it like a real business. 100%. Well, that being said, you've been doing this, I say since 2015 and the life of an entrepreneur online, that's like decades, if not, you know, a whole lifetime. But before 2015, what was that life like for you? What were you doing before jumping in online and quote unquote, becoming a, you know, very successful seller, also entrepreneur and then educator? Yeah. So my background is finance. Uh, I worked with Morgan Stanley. Uh, then I left and worked for a family business. We did wholesale construction supplies. Uh, my father got ill and uh, passed away, unfortunately. So we sold the business at the downturn of uh, the, you know, the market in 2007, 2008. Um, from there, I decided to go back to school for an MBA and uh, focus on startups, uh, angel investing. Uh, I was really interested in entrepreneurship. Uh, it was really a passion of mine. Um, just, uh, yeah. And then I met my, my now wife. We decided to start a business together. We figured out what FBA was <laughs> and, uh, you got married I mean, before or after you started a business? That's after, a after, okay. yeah, yeah. We were saying. dating and starting and working together. Uh, uh, we so we were doing. I went back to my roots, so I had a lot of relationships in wholesale construction supplies with tool mm -hmm. suppliers and everything. And uh, I contacted those suppliers and I said, uh, you know, what kind of deals do you have for me? Because I knew that they always had extra budgets, marketing budgets, and they could give deals if you bought a certain quantity. Sure. So I figured that's where the juice would be. That's where the profit would be. And so I would buy pallets of tools and then get pallets of free stuff. And then the free stuff was the profit. And then I was selling that on Amazon and doing really well. And so really quickly we scaled up. We were doing six figures a month um, and we started to take that profit. And we decided, uh, you know, we saw some SKUs getting uh, blocked. We were also doing some cell phone case stuff like um, some some liquidation stuff. Mm -hmm. And we noticed like Kate Spade got blocked. Some SKUs from DeWalt started to get blocked and more and more SKUs from DeWalt started to get blocked. And that was one of our better, better tool lines. So we decided, OK, private labels, probably how we're going to survive the future and create our own brands. And so my wife being my now wife being from China, we decided to hop on a plane and and go to China. There you go. And the rest is history, right? You just went there, <laughs> found your first products. So that, that's super fascinating because you actually had a background in working with suppliers and manufacturers. Um, how did that, how was it easy? Was it easy to transition over to either inventing or becoming that, finding that product niche and then kind of applying, you know, finding the supplier and manufacturer and applying over to your own business? Was that a little bit easier, you think? It actually was probably a detriment. <laughs> so... <laughs> We were used to selling like, uh, you know, those cell phone cases and we were doing really well with wireless accessories, but they were known brands and we didn't understand keywords. We didn't understand search volume. We didn't understand ranking and PPC really. 
we had listened to some podcasts from some guys that weren't really doing it themselves, that but talked a good game. And so we realized pretty early on that we chose a really competitive niche that uh, razor thin margins, very competitive. Uh, the competition is very aggressive with attacking you. And wireless accessories just isn't a category that you want to be in if you're starting a business on Amazon. So uh, yeah, it probably hurt us going from like where we where we were thinking we were comfortable and then just trying to transition that into private label. And had we done proper analysis, uh, we probably would have gone into other categories right away. <laughs> so you found you were trial by error. You kind of got into the game. You're like, maybe we should ebb and flow a little bit more, or kind of pivot, if you will. What? So you're not in, obviously, that anymore. Why get into the category that you got into now? Because I don't know. I'm not sure how public you, you share this information. Isn't that also very competitive as well? So we we uh, we went into baby, we went into travel, we went into outdoors, we went into sports, we went into toys. Toys now is the majority of what we sell. It's a sure. largest largest percentage, but we have a lot of brands, so we still are spread out pretty well. We diversify. Um, yeah. So the reason that we're mostly in toys is because my because my team is really close to one of the main cities uh, called Chanteau, which is it's like. The toy capital of the world. You've got ten to twelve thousand toy factories in one city, and it's very easy to go there just uh, and play with all the toys and showrooms. And it's such a fun experience. So you, you just go around and and collect all these toys. Uh, someone follows you around, scans them, gives you all the information. You can test them, and then uh, you you basically can find a hundred products in uh, a few days that you're there. Uh, that you potentially will want to launch. So it's really a funny, funny scene. Picture like shopping carts and shopping carts of potential products. Jennifer, really, my wife, playing with them <laughs> and testing them while I'm on the computer doing keyword research and analysis on them and data analysis. And she's like, well, the quality is okay on this one. How does it look? And if it's if it if it meets a certain threshold, we put it on one set of shelves that is like potential product. And right. we, we throw the rest in baskets to be sent back if we don't like it. We do that for like four days and uh, and, you know, probably 10, 12 hour days. And we end up with, you know, 50 to 100 products that will that will decide to launch that year and uh, we'll schedule wow. them out. So is that is that kind of uh, so that was before? Is that what you will go back to once you're able to get over there again? Or is that you think that has changed the way you launch products in the past what year and a half? You haven't been able to touch feel kind of get that own product in your hands unless you manufacturer and get it over to you as a sample yeah we're we're super lucky because you know we have a huge team over there now so we have 24 employees full-time in on the ground and so we have we have members of our team who are just in charge of product development and okay. so they are constantly looking for new designs um we'll take the existing designs of products that uh that we find and we'll just uh we'll change them and and improve upon them we'll create four five six designs of the same type of product to launch at different times and some will work, some won't, won't. And then, you know, we'll abandon the ones that don't. And then, you know, we just keep doing that. So we're, we're constantly iterating and designing and just expanding upon, but yeah, our, our office now is like, we, you know, we've got a pretty large office in Guangzhou and it's like a showroom for, for toys. Now it's literally like a toy store in there. I was the other day, I, had, I hadn't seen it in a while because like normally my, my team, when I'm on a conference call with them is in the conference room. 
And for some reason, I got a glimpse of the rest of the office just the other day. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you have so many toys there. <laughs> and, and then I, I was like thinking to myself, well, obviously they do. But they've got to figure out a way to get rid of those at some point because we don't need to just hold on to all these samples. But, yeah, we've got, you know, like a thousand toys just laying around the office. That's amazing. So that's amazing. Both as a person who loves just playing with gadgets and gizmos constantly, I'm sure like you, like your kids, you probably get nothing done if, if that's the case. But then also that makes me think how often you have to, for every what hundred products that you guys are touching, feeling what's that percentage that you're going to be going with? Yeah, it's, it's low. It's, it's under 10. Uh, it's probably, you know, three to five. Um, so what matters for us is a couple of things, right? Like there's the obviously the physical side of it. It needs to be a certain quality. Uh, size matters for the uh, weight and dimension so that you can hit certain uh, fulfillment tiers and FPA. Mm -hmm. uh, make sure that we have an advantage there. That's something that we really focus on is, um, you know, if someone's someone like Melissa and Doug, for example, will send a four pack of little like plush dolls or, or cars or something out and they'll send it in retail packaging that's this big, right? And we'll send it in a packaging that's this big. <laughs> and so we'll save a couple dollars on fulfillment and we can sell it for a couple dollars less, but also still be making the same amount of profit or more uh, than them. And so those are the types of things that we look for. Um, and then the keyword research is like really what we're known for, like what I teach my students and what, what the, the process that we develop there, which is basically, understanding all of the potential keywords on Amazon that drive sales for a product, and then understanding how the competition is meeting that demand, whether they're doing a good job or bad job at it. So you'll look at the top 10 sellers of a product, you'll be able to create what we call a master keyword list, which is all those keywords, their search volumes, and um, you know we can get in how many sales uh, you should expect to sell if you saturate this market, if you do a good job of ranking for most of those keywords. And then we'll see the rank of those those main sellers mm -hmm. that are already doing well on Amazon. And you'll be surprised, like the top, the second best seller might only be on 60% of the potential search volume for a product. Uh, the fourth best seller might only be on 40%. And so we understand like that gives us an immediate idea of the risk around doing a potential product and the opportunity of doing a product, how many keywords there are, uh, how much search volume there is, the concentration of that the, of those search volumes, how many different ways do people call products, which we call roots. Uh, so we really dig into that keyword analysis and that data analysis to really determine uh, whether we should do a product ultimately, but it needs to meet all those other physical criteria first too. I was gonna say, yeah, so you're looking at market share, of that market share, how much is the number one seller making? And then what's the potential of you kind of swooping on there, getting whatever gap there is, making that up and then overtaking them with that gap. Is that kind of the philosophy? If I'm yeah. kind of explaining yeah, a little bit, correct? So we know, so we're really good at understanding the keywords and how Amazon's algorithm works for ranking. So sure. we, can, we can write the listings in a really optimized way that maximizes ranking potential. Mm -hmm. uh, Amazon gives you a certain amount of credit based on the match type of the keyword, not just like where it is in your listing. So they give it, they give you credit for where it is in your listing. Like a keyword in your title will get more ranking credit than mm -hmm. one in your bullets, for example. But also the the match type, one keyword can can trigger hundreds of keywords uh, for ranking because that's you know they have to do that. You're not going to get a lot of events, clicks, 
add to carts uh, conversion from every keyword. So Amazon has to kind of understand how to rank on a lot of keywords that you might not be getting anything on. And so what they do is they do an attribution of uh, based on match type. So let's say I'm trying to sell um, a diaper caddy. I, I usually give this example because it's pretty straightforward. So if you have a diaper caddy, like, a you know, and I want to sell um, a gray felt diaper caddy. Now, if someone searches for gray diaper caddy, and I want to rank for diaper caddy because that's like the king keyword. That's the, the main keyword with a lot of search volume. I'm If they search for gray diaper caddy and I, I make a sale, I make a click and add to cart and a sale, then I'm going to get some, some traction on diaper caddy as a phrase match because it's right. in the same order. Diaper caddy is in the same order in both keywords. So I get like 50% credit there. And so if it was out of order, if it was like caddy diaper, and uh, for whatever reason, someone searched caddy diaper gray, and then I would only get like 30% credit because that's a broad match. So understanding how each keyword impacts hundreds of other keywords, you can really start to formulate the most optimal way to build your listing and then launch your product. And, and that's what we've become really good at is doing that initial keyword research, that data analysis, optimizing the listings for rank so that when we launch a product, we can be ranked in the top 10 for hundreds of keywords within the first week. Um, with just very little effort, we because because we've optimized so well, the lever is you know has so much more impact. Absolutely, and and that's the thing is uh, with people. I think it's tough for sellers to think when you're starting out, thinking of a search engine with Google versus how Amazon has it set up is completely different because people will say like the best kids toy or the best board game or something like that. Then you'll get a list of just saturated aggregated stuff like that but you don't search like that in amazon you search for either brand type which is again uh different or you search for almost like a generic like board games for kids or board games for five-year-olds or things like that and i was talking with uh amy weiss and she said it's super important to know that that's not how your buyer searches for it so is that where a lot of people as as beginning private label sellers they don't make that connection right away they don't think of how they're buyer potentially is searching for your product? Yeah, they're probably not doing the proper keyword research to get the real data because you can get this data from softwares like Helium 10, for example. And so you can pull that data and understand what people are really searching for. Yeah, people are searching for toy for four-year-old girl a lot. But the reality is you're going to have a very difficult time ranking for that keyword. There are key, There are products that are generating a lot of sales that have established themselves with a lot of history on that keyword that have a very good conversion rate, a very good click-through rate, all of the things that Amazon uses for ranking. And so you're not going to launch a product and take over that type of keyword very quickly. Um, right. And it's gonna be very difficult. And you're gonna convert lower on a generic keyword like that because people don't know what they're searching for and everyone searching is searching for something slightly different. So um, you'll, you'll do a lot better ranking for keywords that are much more relevant, which is what we call, we give, we give each keyword a relevancy score. So we try to optimize for a relevancy and then uh, for those generic keywords later. Um, and yeah, it, it works really well that way because you can create that foundation of sales and, uh, and conversion. You can optimize your listing before you go after those more generic keywords that people are searching for. And I think you're right. I think a lot of people don't do that proper research, don't understand those other keywords or how to find them. And they just build their listing with best toy for four-year-old girl. 
and you can't even really put best in your title, you're going to get suppressed anyway. So, exactly. Yeah. And that's and, how and, we're weeding out the competition anyway. So good. I hope people do that. <laughs> so <laughs> that the rest of us can just take over, right? <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's funny to think about it uh, from a, and this is where I found by doing so many of these shows, I, I think a lot of people just misstep from the basics of research, like you had said. They're not thinking about it from at the very end of the at the end of the funnel. They're thinking about the beginning, like who has the most potential. Like you're looking at audience share and things like that. Super important. But at the end of the day, when you get your product in someone's hands, is it going to be quality? Is it going to be something that they either repeat by? Is it going to last a long time? Is it going to have legs after one or two years? Uh, is it going to have all these different additional qualities? And can you grow on top of that? Is it distinguishable and different? And a lot of people don't think about that. They just want to do it quick, effectively, get in front of as many people as possible, build out this quick influx of sales, and then all of a sudden either abandon, sell it off, or just move on to something else. So that's why I think maybe going back to the question everyone asks, is there opportunity on Amazon as a private label seller? Your answer would be, I'm assuming, Yes, of course. Yeah, uh, I think this is still by far, and it gets harder as time goes on, but it's still by far the best business opportunity that I've ever seen. And I've seen a lot of business opportunities. I've, I, I used to read pitch decks you know, all the time. I ran an entrepreneurship club down in Miami with over a thousand members. We would ho host three Shark Tank meetings a, a month and I would just get dozens and dozens of pitch decks, right? Amazon private label is still by far the best business opportunity simply because e-commerce is expanding significantly. Um, there are millions of products that sell well on Amazon and the vast, vast, vast majority of sellers, 95, 98, 99% of the sellers are not good at Amazon. They're not good at ranking optimization. They're not good at marketing. Um, they're not good at like making their listing beautiful that converts well and doing their content properly. There is just so much you can improve upon almost every product in almost every category. There, there's the exception, right? There's the very fast moving, saturated, uh, mature markets where people have added value and content is great. And um, there are not a lot of keywords and all the sellers are saturated on those keywords with 5,000 reviews. Yeah, but there, for every one of those, there's a thousand more products that are not like that and um, that you can find and manufacture and make a profit on and do a better job than the current sellers. I was going to say, yeah, I, I agree with you. And before I kind of go into my next question, I just want to give a quick, quick, couple quick shout outs to people who uh, wanted to chime in real quick. Reina, uh, two of his Reina. peeps. <laughs> and then he says, the real deal talks the talk and walks the walk. True thought leader in the Amazon realm. Uh, Tiffany uh, Hepburn says, hey, hey um, we actually, yeah. And then, uh, Brandon Young is obsessed with diaper caddies. Is it the new garlic press? Uh, I don't know. I, this is the first time I've heard uh, diaper caddies used as a generic uh, example. So this is pretty funny. Uh, we actually did have a question, Brandon. Uh, maybe is he, uh, he, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but uh, Muhammad asks, is niche, uh, is your toys the only niche you work in? And is it your favorite? Otherwise, what which one is your favorite actually? Uh, it's not my favorite, but uh, I'll, I'll keep, are you I'll sure keep, you talk about it? A <laughs> I love toys. We do really well. It's 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 probably seventy to eighty percent of our of our products at this point. We we spend a lot of time in launching a lot of new products there. Uh, I have several toy brands, and I'll be you know I'll be taking those more direct to consumer, more um, more wholesale moving forward. Like that's a big focus for us this year uh, to really grow that brand. Um, 
but yeah, I think that um, that'll probably be one of the first brands I exit. But I still have uh, travel and outdoor and sports and still love those categories as well. Absolutely. Well, good stuff. So when, uh, so kind of going back to the private, private label seller aspect of, is there opportunity? Why you said that there is opportunity and 99% of people don't do it well. Why isn't that there been a corporation that has come in, figured out like there's so much great opportunity. You and I both know that there's opportunity. Is that why we're seeing this influx of aggregators, more brands, private uh, private equity money coming in and want to build out these portfolios is that this new wave of so many people now have their eyes open and saying listen not a lot of people do this correctly or good we can take over and just beat out all these other people is that what we're seeing right now maybe so i think you're seeing that with companies that are very good like thrasio right um so thrasio is by far the best from what i've seen they've got an engine um, they'll buy a bestseller product and still improve it by 40 plus percent on average. And it's it's incredible what they can do. So they just proved that 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 theory that even the people that are decent or think they're good at Amazon aren't very good at it. Like you could still do better. Right. So what I'm seeing is that the they yeah, a lot of these big companies are coming in and buying pro, um, buying products, buying uh, brands and trying to roll them up. I think a lot of the play that a lot of these PE firms and aggregators are doing is more of an arbitrage on the multiple. So they're buying a bunch of brands at three and four X, and then they're going to roll them all up and sell them at 10, 20 X because they can, they can get that multiple if they have 40, $50 million in EBITDA. So I don't see that they're very good at it though. They're not very good at the Amazon side of it, but they do see that there's an opportunity. And I think that what restricts people from being able to take advantage of this to the to the full extent uh, of this opportunity of selling on Amazon, of optimizing and growing and scaling is a, a capability thing. Um, do you have the capital? Do you have the team? Do you have the no knowledge? Do you have the know-how? And that requires a lot of additional knowledge that isn't Amazon focused. It's about management skills. It's about training. It's about compensation planning. And it's about finding the right talent to help you grow that next level, creating those processes and SOPs and writing them out so that they're duplicatable and scalable. A lot of those processes, a lot of that that part of it is very, very difficult for people. It was even difficult for us. Like um, we hired a CEO coach that we're spending an absurd amount of money with every single month who's helping us um, become better managers, become, become better operators, because now we're no longer having to do the day-to-day -day in the business. We're having to hire the team that does the day-to-day -day, and we have to manage that team and we have to make sure that they're doing a good job. And we found even that if we find someone that we're training that's been on the job for two months, mentored by a, a good, what we call a salesperson, someone operating SKUs that is trying to optimize them on a constant basis and just overseeing them. And, uh, We'll find that sometimes we'll get someone that just doesn't quite get it and the sales will drop on that skew. Uh, we hand it back to somebody that knows what they're doing on the team, someone more senior, and that recovers. <laughs> and so it's, yeah, a lot of these uh, aggregators are going to be in for a rude awakening when they purchase a lot of these brands and the sales start to dip and they don't know what they're doing and they think they know what they're doing and they find a consultant that says they know what they're doing, but the consultant doesn't really do it themselves and doesn't really understand it and can't handle that quantity of SKUs. So I think many of them are going to fail, um, but many of them will probably leave someone else holding the bag. It's still really early on. A lot of them are going to yeah. aggregate all of these brands, 
and then dump them on a much larger PE firm that has e is even more disconnected from the day to day and doesn't right. know what they're doing. So of all the business models and the people that are doing it right, Thrasio is the main one. Um, they're the one that I would trust with my brand uh, because I know that the team behind what they're doing with hundreds of employees already. I mean, I think they're up to almost 700 employees last I heard. So they you got 100 in one month. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible, right? Like, so, um, and Casey, you were talking, uh, you know, Casey Goss is, is a good friend and, and one of the most brilliant people I know in the space. And they're just recruiting some incredible people to to come in and just create these machines. And uh, yeah, it's um, it's an interesting time to be an Amazon seller. I think that if you don't want to do all of that and become an operator and 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 scale your business or you don't have the capability to do it, selling now is probably a great time to sell. Uh, you're going to get the higher multiple than you would have ever gotten this will probably reverse at some point when a lot of these go out of business, a lot of these aggregators and buyers go out of business. So you have a good year to 18 months to prepare your business and sell it and then do it again. Like if you're only good at driving your business to two or $3 million because that's what you can handle as a solopreneur, do that, sell it, do it again and sell it. And that's a fine business model. You can do really well for yourself. You can get some seven figure checks and, uh, and, and do well. Our goal is a little different. Like we're trying to build the team and 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 grow to tens of millions of dollars in you know in profit so that we can have a very large exit. Absolutely. Well, that's the thing is I've I've mentioned this too. It almost seems it could become a farm system. If mm -hmm. you become big enough, you can find people who are just really good at finding opportunity, learn how to find good product that people are going to want to buy, do it quicker, and then just take it off someone's hands, and then you put it into your engine spit it out. And we've talked about this with like Jim Mann of Thrasio and um, Elevate Brands, you know, fortunate, all the people who are now exiting brands and operating them. First, op uh, first order of business is putting them in international marketplaces. That's how, that's where I think a lot of people, if you're going to scale it qu quickly and correctly, they're throwing them into international marketplaces. Then you can see a really quick, uh, there's no competition. There's quicker gains that you can see. And then they're starting to build out that those legs and logistics in those international marketplaces. So it's really, if you have the network to do it, it makes sense to take it off someone's hands before it really starts to take off and then cultivate it and plug and play almost if you will, and then resell it off to someone else and let them deal with it after its growth phase. So that that's super fascinating. As a private label seller, what do you, what do you hear in people who are just starting out on Amazon? What's the number one thing or maybe a couple of things that they're coming into the Amazon world um, because of, because barrier to entry has gotten higher. Um, it's not just a passive thing. It's a full-time job. What are you hearing as a, maybe a consultant or an educator or just a, you know, mentor, if you will, what are you hearing from people while they're getting into the space? Well, I think a lot of people are looking for an opportunity that's going to be a little bit more pandemic proof. Um, you know, work from home, freedom has always been the reason, right? Like you can work from anywhere in this business. We don't have to have a warehouse here. We don't have to handle our own goods. As a matter of fact, 90% of our goods we don't handle. They still go through third-party logistics companies and warehouses in LA, Chicago, Texas. Uh, so we're, we still see that as one of the main reasons, people looking for a better opportunity. And the reality is it's still there, right? Like you can start a business and, and launch it and do well, if you if you know how to do the proper keyword research and optimization and pick the right product based on data, like you can do really well with your first few SKUs while working part time. Um, 
you know, it, and it's that next part that really that scaling that's hard for people. And I love what you were talking about with going international, going to other marketplaces. And that's the strong every every aggregator out there might have their own key advantage. Right. And so so maybe someone's not the best on Amazon. So they're trying to find people that are already good at Amazon so that they can because they're really good at Shopify or they're really good at D2C and uh, in some other platform or, or Walmart or. Maybe they've got retail uh, relationships. Maybe they they can go international quicker um, and have those channels already set up for economies of scale. Because at some point you get to a size where things start to get cheaper for you and start to get more efficient. And I think that that's what the aggregators are relying on. Do you think that there's a there's a going to be a swell of people that can do it really well on Shopify, and that's what they learn first? Know what sells just with a audience that they're driving traffic to, like. It's completely on their own, but then they throw that same engine onto Amazon and then they just see it completely scale. I think um, there, there's one person I think recently that's been floating around. I think Ezra from, he, he's like the big Shopify <clears throat> branding person who just started selling on Amazon and what scaled it to six figures in the first month or two, just because he knows Shopify. Do you think that's yeah. what we'll see as well? Well, I love Ezra. So Ezra's thing is that he came to Amazon just to try to expand because he had a little bit more capability, but he's only putting one skew on Amazon. He still doesn't like a lot of the negatives of Amazon that you see in some of the faster moving spaces. Like he's in skincare and you get a lot of attacks and um, mm -hmm. dirty, dirty competitors and it's much more difficult. Um, so I think he's using it more as a way to diversify a little bit to increase the value of his company and to expand um, his overall reach uh, that Amazon becomes a lead source for him, right? Because then people will get his insert card and want to order the rest of his products on his website, which he's not going to offer on Amazon. So um, he can create brand loyal followers by leveraging Amazon's massive shopping list um, and traffic list, which I think is great. I have another friend who does the same thing in skincare, my friend Scott, and he, most of his business is not on Amazon anymore, even though he started there. He's just become really good at Shopify. So I think certain markets lend yourself to that. If you've got a replenishable product, if you've got something in skincare supplements or you know something that people buy over and over again, then I think having your own Shopify store and being really good at it is is where you want to be. Um, but people that go from Shopify to Amazon might be surprised. Like for if you're in a non-replenishable market, yeah, Shopify is harder than Amazon. Um, you have to understand uh, marketing funnels and email marketing and retargeting and um, retargeting funnels and. Uh, pixeling, which is now even harder because the iPhone is uh, just updated. Moving and, away from and, it, yeah. And, and, and made it harder for Facebook to, to retarget you. And um, so you have all of these challenges where you have to constantly drive your own traffic and build up your brand, uh, especially if you don't have someone that's going to come back for a second purchase a lot of times. If you don't have a lot of different SKUs, if you don't have something to offer them again, yeah, it's really tough to be profitable on your own site. So Amazon's just so much easier because once you rank for those keywords and you can maintain that rank, that or those organic sales are just coming in regularly. It's pretty it's pretty reliable because of the scale of Amazon. And it's only getting bigger. At what at what point do you think that private label becomes not a place to start on Amazon? It's to start on Shopify. Is there is there a a line in the sand that if Amazon crosses it, whether it's something with IMI limits or just inventory or FBA restrictions or anything like that. Is there a point where you'll start to see the ebb go 
in the flow go back to Shopify and saying, hey, it's more worth your time to start a business direct to consumer instead of using a marketplace like that? I don't know. That would be really far down the road. It's really tough. They're 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 pushing the line now where some of these inventory limits are just super restrictive. Um, it, like it's probably one of the worst things I've ever seen as far as like uh, stagnant, like really restricting growth from our perspective. Um, we so if anyone's listening and just doesn't know, Amazon has two different scores that they're giving you based on your sell through rate, the value of the product you're selling and uh, the, the, the movement of your SKUs. They're giving you uh, inventory storage limits, plus they're giving you a units restriction, number of units you can have in their warehouses which would normally be okay because what they're doing is they're trying to force a lot of people to become more efficient with their with their inventory. But the problem is it, it restricts someone like us who launches 10, 20 new products a month because we're not able to get the number of units we really need to do that. Um, and for someone that's a lot of our businesses and toys, what are we going to do in Q4 when we're supposed to send three to five to seven times more inventory in? in October and November to prepare for that massive shopping season. Uh, it's going to be impossible to do that with the current restrictions. So I don't know if they're planning on revising that uh, or how they're planning on handling that, but stuff like that is what's forcing us to go and, and develop those wholesale channels. Stuff like that is forcing us to look at other marketplaces. Um, so we're taking business away from Amazon and we're going to become more less exclusive on Amazon simply because of the their actions right now. Do they, do they look at that and say, because we, we've heard this too from retail perspective, like if you're working with a supplier manufacturer or just like someone in retail and they do this, like the, like if you walked away and you said, I'm going to be less exclusive with that, they're going to do everything in their power to earn your business back. I don't see that as Amazon being the case. You don't have a one-to-one -one person that's trying to say like, Brandon Young, please, please don't leave your brands uh, off of our marketplace. Like they, they could almost care less do you think that will inevitably hurt them in terms of growth and scale I, at that i really point? wish they cared more about the sellers or at least showed that they do like there there's just this this massive feeling that you get as a seller that you're just another number and yeah i can understand if you cheat like like mpow and uh Aki just did and they got they got they got kicked off the platform even though they were doing over hundreds of millions of dollars but i've you know, even at like 15 million this year with our on target at 15 million this year, we're still nothing to them. And we still don't get any special treatment. We don't still don't get a special representative. We don't get the ability to say, hey, this guy's actually pretty good at Amazon and doing making us a lot of money. Maybe we should expand his units, right? Like we don't get any special treatment, which I think is a mistake. I think they should be right. I think I think once you get to a certain size, there should be at least some help, right? Like I'm probably a top 2,000, 3,000 seller, 5,000 seller. Like I'm probably something that's enough to get some kind of special warranting, you know, warrant some kind of uh, assistance or a call, a phone call. Hey, we noticed you're doing okay on our platform and do a lot of business. Is there anything we can do for you? They, no, they, they don't give a shit. It just seems like they just don't care um, or they're too big and we're just another number. It's really, it's that's one of the most frustrating things about Amazon. But at the end of the day, I owe so much to Amazon with regards to our growth and our wealth and, and um, that, you know, I don't want to bite the hand that feeds you, you know? Sure. Well, and th that's what a lot of people are saying, you know what, it's a marketplace. Nonetheless, I can't, 
not be happy with where I am right now. It would be nice if there is still a little bit more handholding or just empathy from their side and say, listen, man, it's going to be okay. Like we're going to, we're going to take care of you. Like you do such a good job for us. Let, let's give a, let's throw a cookie back to you once in a while. But at the end of the day, it, it's a, it's a marketplace. So do you think that that's where the opportunity of innovation and growth with all these other, I've, I've seen like plays by wish or plays by, you know, Shopify, they're making all these purchases to say, or even Walmart really, um, this is a space where they can find opportunity and really take over and maybe get, give back and maybe give a little more love to the sellers. Is that where do you think that they're going to try to grow? Yeah, I think that the the only way to compete with Amazon would be to have a fulfillment option that's similar, right? So that's the advantage of Amazon is the FPA. Uh, that allows someone to come in from nothing and start to build a seven-figure business without the need to scale and invest in a warehouse and employees and packaging materials and all of the things that you need to create a warehouse and fulfill those products while still giving the same customer service and efficiencies as Amazon. I'll never be able to do it as cheap as Amazon. I'll never be able to, uh, you know, to, to get products to everywhere in the country within a day like they can. Um, and it would cost me a fortune to duplicate that. So there's no point in doing it. So for me to go to Walmart who can't, you know, they have like deliver and they have like a pseudo FBA that they're building out, but wish definitely doesn't. I think that there are huge opportunities for Shopify um, if they create a marketplace because they've got tens of thousands of independent, maybe hundreds of thousands of independent shops that they could formulate into a marketplace that they could drive significant traffic to. But until they offer a fulfillment option and a customer service option, they can't compete with Amazon. Um, right. TikTok, social media trends. Like I think TikTok is probably another big player that'll that'll emerge. You know, they did a Shopify integration, but it's nothing compared to what they have in China. In China, they have and I think they use Taobao for for uh, for fulfillment, so they have like an FBA option and drop shipping mm -hmm. option. But um, the uh, TikTok to me is probably another place that is still not being developed as much as it could be by by sellers. There's a need for a marketplace that connects these these um, these brands who can fulfill um, that have good products and the. Uh, the, the influencers on TikTok or influencers anywhere. And so that becomes a major marketplace at some point, I imagine. But yeah, Amazon's still uh, king. Yeah, I, it, they are still king. I think that you're starting to see buying habits change. Obviously, we see influence become a big component of either it's on Instagram or TikTok, just even driving sales by accident, which is kind of funny. Um, Scott Needham, I know was the first person I saw, he he showed me the video of like this influencer just playing with his product. It was such a weird, unique product. Uh, I think 3D, like hardening serum. I, I couldn't even describe it for you. It'd be such a terrible keyword that I would have to come up with. Uh, but <laughs> in that regards, in that regards, I saw it side by side and he, he showed the sales component when it launched. It was like 10,000 units sold in a 24 hour period right before Black Friday. I just like, couldn't believe the amount of influence in today's society as youth grows up in this movement of you say one thing, hey, check out this product. You see it on social media all the time. Buy this. 
instantaneously without people thinking they're handing over money. So I think that's where the opportunity is commerce on social media, wherever that looks like direct to consumer, direct to brand, however they merge, that's going to be fantastic. And Shopify is doing that really well, I think, and continue to innovate that. Um, what's something that you like as a private label seller that most people don't? Uh, data analysis. <laughs> I love I love letting the data make a decision for me so I don't have to guess. Um, we went with our gut in the beginning and it didn't work out for us. Uh, so, you know, we did over a million dollars in revenue in our first year, but really at no profit. And so it was one of those things where we wish we had understood how to uh, look at keywords and, and, and data and search volumes and and how to optimize listings and how to choose products um, better. That's something I really love to do. And I still think the majority of sellers don't spend enough time doing that before they choose a product. Are passion brands dead before they get started? Like I say, if you are passionate about something in your life, it's impacted you and then you develop that product. Is that something that's going to be hard to scale and be hard to let go eventually? Do you think? Yeah, I see it on a regular basis. It's it's not to say like they could end up finding a product that still doesn't have a lot of people meeting the demand properly that they can optimize and do a good job with. But falling in love with an idea is the number one reason that I see entrepreneurs fail in every industry. It's like at some point you've got to pivot. <laughs> you've got to get enough data and you've got to make a decision based on the data and you can't become emotional to it. You, a lot of people become really emotional and attached to something that they love or they're attached to and it just isn't a good idea. It's not something that people are going to spend money on. It's not something that's going to drive people to change their current habits. Um, and people just might not be looking for it. And so the biggest thing is that you can't create demand on Amazon. And so if you understand that rule, that's a, a law that you can't create demand on Amazon, then you shouldn't try to develop products that people aren't searching for on Amazon. So don't invent something and think that you're going to launch it on Amazon and do a good job with it if people aren't searching for it. Unless it's something that is just a better iteration of something that already exists that people already right. search for and you can compete with price and show them in some way you can display that uniqueness or that advantage, then uh, then there's an opportunity, but don't try to invent and then bring to Amazon. It doesn't work. Well, that's the other thing too, is making a personal brand or tying yourself to that brand. It's hard to exit any sort of capacity with that way. John in, you know, Thrasio employee 595 is not going to be, he doesn't care as much as you do for your uh, cat uh, clothes or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever they're buying. I don't even think, it might be a thing on Amazon. I'm sure it is. Search that keyword. I don't think Thrasio is buying cat clothes, but I could be wrong. Uh, anyways, but he's not going to care as much as you do with a personal brand. So I think that's hard to iterate and replicate once you let go of your, you know, business in that regard. So I think people are staring away from more like you're the face of the company or something tied to a story, which is what like my daughter had a genetic disorder. Therefore, I created XYZ. That's hard to buy if I'm Thrasio and saying, yeah, we care just as much as this person and we're going to keep on their legacy or something like that. I, I don't see many people doing that. So I always tell people stay away from personal branding as much as you can. Or if it's a backstory, just keep it as a backstory. Don't make you that center point, if that makes sense. No, of course. It's a key man issue is what they call it in business. And it's, uh, yeah, if you 
if you are the person that drives that branding and drives that business, then it makes the business extremely difficult to sell and move on from. It's not an exit exitable asset uh, most of the time. Absolutely. And before the top of the hour, I know uh, we have we start a little bit later. Um, my other question for you is: What's a recurring nightmare that most private label sellers have, or maybe that you have? That's just a constant you have to worry about and keeps you up at night. Yeah, the biggest thing is just Amazon, um, you know, shutting you down, constant attacks from sellers. Like there's just, we've become a lot more understanding of their terms of service and we don't really play in the gray, like the, the black area at all. Like we might push the gray occasionally, but for the most part, we, we understand where those lines are. And so we're not as in fear of them just, us just waking up and our account is shut down. But there are just so many things that just randomly happen from either attacks or from paperwork getting messed up or an IP complaint that wasn't real, um, you know, that that'll shut down a listing for, you know, I have one right now that's down for like 60 days with a fake IP complaint from a major toy company. I saw um, that. Well, what can you give a little more backstory on that real quickly before we have to hop <laughs> off? Yeah, 60 sure. days so, down is a long time for something that's legitimately yours. So my impression is that the company has a consulting company that they've hired to go in uh, to, to try to enforce some IP, right? But this company is probably compensated in how many people they knock down because they are just issuing to a bunch of people that, that aren't violating any IP. For example, like our product has, uh, like their product has designs on it, right? And ours is blank. They're saying that we're infringing on their copyright of those designs being on our product, but our product doesn't even have those designs on our product, right? Very straightforward. So I contact the way our process to handle this is that we have our attorney write what's called the DMCA counter notice. And that's basically telling the company that you are in, in the professional opinion of our attorney that we are not infringing because of XYZ and therefore they have 10 days to basically sue us or they can kick rocks because we otherwise we're, you know, they're causing us in damages and harm and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So Amazon will usually act on that. You send them that DMCA counter notice and they will start the clock. And after 10 days, they'll reinstate your listing. If that company doesn't come back with an answer and say that they are going to pursue some kind of legal or that they have additional evidence or anything like that, right? We've been through that about a dozen times. It's not cheap every time it happens. Like we have to pay our attorney a thousand to two thousand dollars, depending on the case and how much evidence we need to pull together. And for the most part, we've won every single one because we're not infringing. Now, this one is just a major company, uh, one of the biggest toy brands in the world. Um, and so we had an issue where every time we submitted it, they would just either not respond, Amazon would not respond, or they would respond after I prodded them and said, hey, it's been 10 days. Why is my listing still not down? They're like, oh, you didn't put your address in the DMCA. And then I look at the DMCA and my address is clearly there. And I'm like, I don't understand. So I, I just highlight the address in the DMCA. I put it in another spot in the DMCA. So now it's not just in the body. It's also like in the footer or somewhere else. And then I resubmit it. Don't hear back from them. Prod them in 10 days and say, hey, it's been 10 days. Why is my listing still down? Oh, you uh, you still don't have your, your address there and uh, your name isn't there. 
And so usually just the name of my attorney is good enough because my company name. So then I put my name and then I submit it. And then this last time, like it just went back and forth. It's like five, six times now that I've submitted this. The last time they said that my signature wasn't on it. My signatures never had to be on this thing. And so now I've added my signature, the address in three spots. And now I've resubmitted it again for the sixth time. And it looks like it's finally being like, I didn't get a response that they've accepted it. So I guess I'll have to wait 10 days and then say, hey, it's been 10 days. What's going on? And if they give me another reason, I don't know what's happening. It sounds like this brand has some special privilege because they're so big that the person is kind of like kicking it down the road to help them out. Or maybe they're being right. paid and bribed to do that. I don't know. So it's just really suspicious and really frustrating. But this is a product that was making us a couple hundred dollars a day that's been down for two months now. So now we've got over $10,000 in real losses. We've had to recall those products. Like we had a couple thousand units sitting on Amazon that were sitting there now stranded, which is now hurting those inventory limits we were talking about before. So we had to recall those at 50 cents a piece. Some got damaged and are no longer sellable that we've now repalletized to get ready to send back in when we get the all clear. And all of this, uh, you know, on top of if those had been selling, we would have gotten more units. So now we have a potential loss of you know, we would have had more units to send in so we could launch more products. And now the whole snowball and the entire growth and trajectory of my company has been downshifted because of this one SKU, because of this one company and this BS that's happening. That's the okay. life of an Amazon seller. This is, this, is my, this is my prediction for on June 24th. And why I say June 24th, two days of epic deals, prime day, June 21st and 22nd. We're going to start to see, oh, Mr. Young, you have been reinstated on Amazon. Congratulations. Your SKU is now back and available to be sold. So with that being said, yeah, that's, that's I something wrong. That <laughs> I'm going to circle that on my calendar and I'm going to check in with you on Facebook. And I'm going to say, hmm, this is uh, oddly available all of a sudden. Interesting how that works, right? Yeah. Is, well, is there anything I, we can I, do? I, I it, the, yeah. So I'm really petty, right? Like it's really bad. It's a bad combination to be rich and petty because I don't give a shit. I'll burn, I'll light money on fire just to like, just to do the right thing. Just out of, out of spite and principle, I will do the right thing. So now I'm going through with a fine tuned tooth clone of this, this large brands company, like all of their SKUs. And I am going to find every single SKU that I can duplicate and sell and 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 go after them and i'm also going to hire former employees of them and go after retail uh relationships um they have been raising their prices i will under i will sell at, at break even to get those that relationships costs. from them because i am uh i am very petty but <laughs> my wife is yelling at me in the background i don't know if you can hear her. don't like, say oh. that on live yeah exactly well and that's the thing is <laughs> well entrepreneurs too like this is not just something that we do it's not just happening here. It's happening in everywhere in, in business. And this is what's happening. You have people fighting, you have people taking sides and there, I mean, you have to do what's right by you as a business owner. Again, I think if, if this is the right call to action, you can, you certainly have every right to do that. And if there's legality issues, like that's certainly a concern for sellers getting into the space. At what point are you not protected anymore? Is, is this the area, the gray area when people have a bigger person, seller XYZ. And that's concerning, I think, um, legally down the road that they can get big trouble for. So I wish you best luck. I, I can't wait to see like sure. what, what comes out of this. Uh, one more thing I want to make sure that we talked about before you you've developed a community, you, you, you started selling 
figuring out all these things and you have a great mastermind group community of sellers and you're even like helping them on their journey. How, why is that so important to you to, to start something like this and then to continue? Why is it as a beginner seller to have a community to lean on? I tell you, so when we first started, we really felt like we were on an island and, and by ourselves and it was awful. Um, it's a really lonely journey a lot of times to be an entrepreneur. And so I was one of the founding members of a group called Million Dollar Sellers. So it's a, a mastermind with hundreds of sellers where you have to be a seven and eight figure seller to, to be in. And I made so many amazing friends in that group. Um, and it really, we would get an Airbnb together at an event and get 10, 12 of us together and then get 20, 30 of us in the same city and the same for dinners and just stay up all night talking business and talking about the strategies and sharing openly. And that abundance mentality, there is 99.9% .9 that you can share with someone about how this business works and how good it works, where you have zero risk of them really duplicating what you're doing. Like you don't need to reveal your brands or your products or your exact SKUs. Like I said before, there's millions of products that can do well on Amazon. And so people are like, oh, aren't you worried about creating competitors? And I'm like, no, like <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. Like even with a thousand members in our inner circle, you know, in our mastermind, and I've never run ads for it up until this point. And, and it's just been, you know, the full course and it's called the seller systems uh, and, and inner circle. Um, there's very little overlap of SKUs and it might be like you got 50 people in the same category. And they're, the odds of them finding the same products uh, and doing the same products that meet their specifications and, and what they're trying to do is very low. And and they might have 50 SKUs and maybe one overlaps, right? Like And, and so that's going to happen. But there's still plenty of room. If you look at the first page of any given search results for, for almost any product for the best keyword, you're going to find multiple products that are doing, you know, $50,000, $100,000 a month in revenue. And so some people just have a preference for one product over another and you could be the second best and this guy can be the fourth best and you guys are still doing really well. So for me, it was more about creating, recreating that community because the more you give, the more you receive in this world. And it's just a law that I live by. It's just the, the abundance mentality. And I've, I've lived it. I see it. I know it. And so this community has been my way of doing that where you know, yeah, it's nice. I get paid. I have probably one of the, like my course isn't the most expensive, um, but it's a way for me to also give back and help people start businesses. And now we've grown, we've got hundreds of seven and eight figure sellers, um, a really high success rate. We base everything on data and we teach people how to do it right. But it's, it's just pa a passion for me. And I love seeing the success of, of the other members. Well, and also you're doing this, you're charging because it's time off your plate from building your business. So that being said, I think people see the value in that. And if they want it for free, there's other free opportunities out there, but the community itself is so, I, I love this community of how people support each other. If you're doing it the right way, again, you see jerks out there who are just like, you're doing it the wrong way. And you have, you're one of the people I know who have very strong passions about those, those certain people. And I love that, that someone speaks out and say, listen, back off, like you're a jerk, move on, do your thing and quit bothering the people who are trying to do it the right way. That being said, it, it's really hard to protect everyone, but the sense of community and networking and what you see here versus you see in other industries, I don't see that. I don't, I, I've been in other capacities. You just don't see that with other people. So they want to learn more information. How did they do that? They, they reach out to you. What, what's the best way to do that? 
Oh, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, you can go to seller-systems.com slash inner circle. Um, so I've also got master classes. So the way that I do it, like, yeah, there's a lot of people out there that will take anyone's money with a credit card and a pulse. And I hate that. This business is hard. It takes a certain amount of capital to get started. Um, don't start this business unless you're fully committed to it. And at least you have, if you have, you know, at least five to $10,000 to, to put into this business. Um, that being said, if you're still not sure, I have a free class that's an hour long. I have another master class that's normally $200. Use code 20 and it's only $20. Um, and that one's seller-systems.com slash masterclass2. Watch it for $20. Spend five hours looking at how we look at data because, you know, that our database approach. And by the end of that class, you'll know whether you want to do this business because, you know, there, it, it's, it's not easy. And it's not, you know, it'll either be something that you love or it'll be something that you'll realize, hey, it's not for me. And then you you can realize that before you spend thousands of dollars on a course or, you know, or something else. So um, I, I encourage everyone to at least use that qualifier. If you're already in the business, then, you know, join us in the inner circle. We do weekly live calls to answer any questions, um, you know, and, and you have a, an amazing community that I hope also practice and, and do practice that that abundance mentality. Absolutely. And you guys go over more than just like keyword research. You go over like sourcing logistics. There's a lot of good things that you have expertise, help people get started out. And that's what this show is about is finding people that can help you along those journeys, whether it's growth, international expansion, whatever that is. So, and you also throw kick-ass parties at Prosper. So that was, that was pretty cool that <laughs> all the promotional stuff that you're going on, man, everyone's coming out hot out of quarantine. They're throwing kick-ass parties. What is going Can't on? Wait. We've been cooped up for over a year where we're ready to get back out and hang out. Like it's going to be have money to burn and they're going to start throwing it around at events. I'm going to see you at Top Golf, right? I I'm hoping so. Like Prosper is the one, it couldn't come on a worse week for me personally, because my son's at camp and that's a one camp week mm -hmm. that he's not in. So that being said, events in general, I haven't talked to a Danny. I don't know if his events hope going on because we're supposed to be sponsoring that. And he said, I'll let you know five weeks out. And I think it's three weeks away. So I need to get on Danny over there to see if we're allowed to even go to England right now. So that's another yeah, that's, one we're doing. That's another one that I, yeah, I'm, I can't wait to head over there. Yeah. Last year, you know, obviously with everything getting shut down, there was so much travel that we didn't do. I have never been to Europe and my wife and I were going to spend two weeks because we were going to really? go to Danny's seller session, uh, seller sessions live. And then we were going to spend the rest of the time traveling around Europe. And yeah, all of that was canceled. Australia was canceled. Okay. Yeah. Japan, Australia, Europe. We were, we had a lot of trips planned last year that, that didn't happen. So we're excited to get at least get started. We're, we're in Europe real quick before we cap off. What Where are must goes for you? As a I don't know, man. I, I think I could spend weeks just in Italy. Uh, I love food and the history and the empire and uh, like all of the art. Um, I could probably do a few days in Paris. I hear that like outside of that, I want to go to uh, Germany. Uh, my grandmother was uh, a lieutenant nurse in World War II in the US Army. She was the first unit into Dachau, uh, the concentration wow. camp. And I still, I just get shivers even thinking about it. So she spent her entire life after that uh, educating about the horrific stuff she saw and experienced. And it's still very emotional for me that I uh, I want to go and visit Dachau. Um, Absolutely. So yeah, I 
Well, all those places I can attest to, uh, I have a 10 day trip around Italy that is on hold until whenever we can get over there. So did that as a college student, but I'm doing that more as a, let's not stay in a hostel or let's not stay <laughs> with two sets of clothes. Let's do a little bit, a little bit nicer things. And yeah, traveling is, is definitely a passion. I think a lot of people realize taking travel for granted during this time, but I mean, I want to see so many places, like you said, I haven't, haven't been to Asia. So that's another place I would love to experience oh, over in China and yeah, go back to all the different places around the United States that tip, like you just don't get to go to. So seeing everyone in person would be nice to eventually do. So check out seller systems, everyone. Uh, I put that link, the four slash masterclass two. check it out. Uh, if you have questions, Brandon, uh, is the best way to Facebook. What, what's the best way to touch base with you? Uh, Facebook's kind of full, uh, Instagram works. Uh, so it's Brandon, uh, dot young underscore Amazon. Uh, so that's my Instagram. You can, uh, find me there and shoot me a DM. Um, yeah, I'm usually pretty accessible. I have my my public Facebook group too, Seller Systems Succeeding on Amazon. You can join the group and post a message, tag me. Um, I usually, you know, will respond to messages in there as well. So um, I try to be as accessible as I can. Good stuff, man. Yeah, absolutely. And those are all in the comments uh, section below. So if you're looking at the okay. show notes and don't look at this live, go ahead and click on that, whether it's Brandon himself, uh, his page, Seller Systems, or the, the group. We tagged all of those. So make sure you check those out and like it for any new upcoming events like Prosper that they're going to be going and doing. So check that out. Uh, but thanks so much for hopping on today. It was very informative and good luck with the stupid 60 days plus of trying to get your list or your SKU back up. <laughs> Dude, I, I, I super appreciate everything. And uh, thank you for having me on, man. It, it was, it was really fun. Yeah, no problem. Uh, we'll, uh, if you hang right there, we'll just uh, cap off real quickly, but thanks Brandon for hopping on. Uh, from Seller Systems. Thank you everyone for tuning in today. Lots of great uh, feedback and comments. I loved all of them. I'm laughing here in the background as I'm seeing them trickle through. So thanks for tuning in and being interactive. If you like this, go ahead and share that on Facebook, YouTube, or LinkedIn. This is all shareable content. So make sure you let us know what your thoughts are. This week is pretty action-packed. We have a lot of cool guests coming up. Uh, we have Christina Mertens uh, from Seller Mundo coming on tomorrow. And then on Wednesday, we'll have Ram Menon from Seller App. We're going to be talking about data-driven using BPO reports to open new sales opportunities. So I'm excited to talk with them uh, over at Seller App. And then, of course, in the next couple of weeks, I go live about three to five times per week with Amazon leaders and e-commerce leaders in the space. It could be anywhere from uh, graphic design to product listings to PPC management to sourcing logistics, international growth. That's what ping pong is all about. We want to make sure that you grow internationally. So that's why I do this show. It's a fun interactive uh, thing that I like to do. It's my corner of the internet that I like to bring in people that have been are more than kind enough to share that uh, information and experience with you, the watchers and listeners. So if you like what you hear, go ahead and give us a thumbs up and we'll catch you guys next time on Crossover Commerce. Take care.